nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to small nonprofits throughout the United States. Our line of credit program is easy, inexpensive, and costs nothing until used, making it a great cash backup plan for your nonprofit. I would let our listeners know that the nonprofit uh, line of credit is extremely popular, and it's really a great thing to have. It, you know, again, it doesn't cost anything until you use it. When you do use it, it's for an emergency. It's really a good thing. It's it was so needed in the marketplace, and uh, I'm glad that we provide it. If you would like to learn more about the program, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com or call us at 862-207-4118. If you decide to apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file. The time to set up your, just remember, the time to set up your line of credit is now, not when the emergency actually comes up. Um, So today I'd like to, uh, welcome, and I'm excited to be speaking with Diana Zhang from NeighborShare. Uh, Diana is the CEO and co-founder of NeighborShare, a nonprofit on a mission to empower our community's frontline heroes to help families through pivotal moments of need of $400 or less. Prior to that, she spent 15 years in strategy and operations as an executive at Bridgewater Associates, a premier asset management firm. Outside of work, Diana is passionate about food and advocating on behalf of those who lack access to it. She uh, serves on the board of Connecticut Food Share. Diana is a presidential leadership scholar and graduated uh, summa cum laude with a BA in economics and government from Dartmouth College. Diana, welcome to today's entrepreneur, I'm sorry, nonprofit MBA podcast. Thank you so much, Stephen. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I slipped up on the Entrepreneur uh, Podcast because I actually do two podcasts. I do the Entrepreneur on, uh, MBA Podcast and the Nonprofit MBA Podcast. And I tell you, Diana, if you were on the Entrepreneur MBA Podcast, I'd be asking you all questions uh, about you know how you got into your uh, organization, how you got into the nonprofit sector, because that... Somebody who's not in nonprofits uh, uh, is is interested in that, but considering that all our listeners are in nonprofits, a lot of times they know what the motivation is of people getting into helping other people. And so, uh, as much as I'm interested in that, we're we'll move on to today's topic, which is today's topic is getting the most out of your nonprofit volunteers. Um, you know, I, I love it when. When my guests, I always ask them to come up with their own topics, and they're always so interesting. The the, the topics, you know, because I hear it, and I'm like, that's a great one that everyone needs to hear. And I felt that way when you you know when you talked about this topic. Tell me how this topic kind of resonated with you. 
Absolutely. And by the way, Stephen, happy to be on your other podcast too, because this has been a whole <laughs> entrepreneurial journey over the past year and a half. So I have a lot well, to say there too. <laughs> good. Well, we'd love to have you. Um, and then on this on this volunteer topic, you know, look, you know, NeighborShare, um, you know, was was co-founded by myself and a good colleague of mine at the beginning of the pandemic. And, you know, I would really attribute, let's call it 98% of the progress we've made and the great progress we've made um, over these past couple of years to our volunteer crew, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think it's been a um, critical ingredient to our success and progress, especially as you can imagine as an early nonprofit with literally a $0 budget, right? We're bootstrapping all the way through. Um, and we've been able to do incredible things at a really high quality. And so the um, the the learning how to sort of build, motivate, retain a volunteer team has become like a big, important sort of management topic in my own head. Um, and so I was really eager to get on and just share with your audience sort of the the lessons I've learned, right? Because I've certainly made mistakes, et cetera. But, you know, taking my 15 years of for-profit management experience and translating into this space and learning how to build this team when, you know, you as a manager kind of lose the the, the biggest lever you have, which is the ability to pay someone, <laughs> then how do you yeah. do the rest of it, right? And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's become a topic I've become really passionate about and thought deeply, deeply about through, through these past Is there years. good software to manage volunteers? Um, there, um, there's good... They're good, pla- as far as I'm aware, they're good platforms out there certainly to um, help find great volunteers, especially on our end, um, the way the the way our volunteer team design is very sort of skills-based. Um, you know, like basically think of the neighbor share model as I've built up a corporate structure, like full org chart, all these things. And then the only difference is that instead of filling those boxes in my org chart uh, with paid employees, I'm filling them with volunteers, right? And so because I'm oftentimes going out and saying specific things like, ah, oh, geez, we need a product designer or we need a content writer, like because we're very specific, there are some great, um, you know, great, great services out there that help you match make to volunteers with a particular skill set who want to, um, wow. you know, who want to contribute in that way. Um, I'm sure there are ones that exist to manage for like vast amounts of, you know, when you need armies of volunteers to, you know, like run an operational thing and whatever it is. I'm sure those exist, but I'm not, I'm not uh, very knowledgeable about that space. Yeah. 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 I bet you there isn't because I, after it's great that there's, there's, that there's platforms that you could find a specialist for a volunteer. I mean, I guess once you bring them on board, I, I don't know if you need software to help manage them. Um, so I, I don't know if there would be a need. I mean, I've listen, I've been doing the nonprofit uh, MBA podcast for four years. This is like my 90th episode. And I, mm-hmm. I haven't come across anybody yet who says that they kind of handle that. So there must not be much of a need. So, yeah. so, so take me through the course uh, so has it been a year now that you've been, you know, needing volunteers or working volunteers or, or has it been longer than that? Yeah, I mean, we've been um, largely volunteer driven since we first began, which is really March of 2020. So it's been, you know, over or really like, uh, basically two years at this point. Um, and, you know, we've gone through, as you can imagine, a few generations of volunteers through that time, depending on need and interest and all those things, but um, have also always had like a really loyal core in the middle of all who are sort of like my initial co-founders with me and starting to build it out. So when you first started this idea behind nonprofits, uh, I'm sorry, behind volunteers, you know, where was your mindset then? And then now, where is your mindset now in regards to volunteers? Where, where? Tell us about the transition of like your learning curve, the things that you stumbled through, the things that you have had the aha moment with. 
you know, all, all those things that, you know, our listeners can relate to. No, absolutely. So when we first started out, um, you know, we were we weren't anything like neighbor share didn't exist. Right. And so when we first started out um, with the volunteer thing, it was just sort of like a by default, let's just pull in some passionate folks who were really energized by, you know, horrified and energized by what was going on um, in our communities, given sort of like the impact of the pandemic and just pulled a group together. Right. So that was just like an organic, like bring in like-minded people who like the idea and just start building. Right. So that was sort of like an organic thing. Through time, the thing that's become interesting is that, you know, once we sort of like got more organized through time, right, we're sort of like, you can imagine you go through the early days of like, what's even our mission and our model and our theory of change, all the things into, hey, now we're actually an official 501c3 and we have a board, we have some initial fundraising, et cetera. Like as we sort of like solidified as an organization and started to create a more sort of purposeful and intentional organizational strategy, even in those moments, sort of like based on my my experience in sort of like the early messy days, you know, the board and I got aligned on this notion of like, let's make sort of like the structure and the dependency on our volunteer team actually even more intentional and even um, more purposeful, right? In the sense that, you know, one of the key insights I learned is like, look, like um, because of the quality of the volunteer team that we built, we basically are bringing in, you know, like the, our, our philosophy has been, you know, bring in folks who are uh, who sort of like have the skills from their day jobs that we need in our organization, right? So it's sort of like whenever I needed to build out the marketing team or our product team for our tech platform or, uh, you know, geez, like social media was way more complicated than I thought it would be. So like, let's double click into a social media team or whatever it is. Like, as you go into it, what I realized and came to appreciate is, hey, building a business like this is complicated. You need a lot of different types of roles and expertises that we would never be able to afford, mm-hmm. <laughs> both gotcha. because of the sheer quantity and also because we, we've always had this org philosophy of keep the quality high, right? Even though we're new and scrappy and moving fast and we have this philosophy, like that's also fail fast. It's okay to make mistakes as long as we're learning. We're also saying everything we do though, everything that we do that touches the world should be high quality because it represents our brand and it represents sort of like the, the intentionality of how we want to build this org. And given that, we certainly realized rapidly that, hey, like, even though we had some initial successes with fundraising, et cetera, because we're, you know, on a nonprofit budget, running with nonprofit margins, where we want to make sure we're like spending as much money as possible toward the people who are actually in need. We just saw that, um, you know, building up sort of this organization based on high quality volunteer network is going to result in like a team and a caliber of team that would actually be um, way higher than, quite frankly, anything we would be able to pay for. Right. And so sort of like even as we look out for the next couple of years, and I'm sure things will shift through time as hopefully we scale out and, and whatever else and things become more complicated, et cetera. But even for the next couple of years, you know, if the way the neighbor share organizational models design is to be, let's call it like 90 percent volunteer driven. And then with a couple of core now full time paid employees driving it all and managing through it. Uh, but I would call it that was like insight number one, which is, hey, like actually trying to, you know, um, build an organization and literally run it like a business is actually possible via volunteers. If you get the nuances and are willing to uh, get the nuances of managing a volunteer crew, right. And are also willing to um, deal with the trade-offs. Right. And I'll, I'll go into those in a couple of things. So that's, that's point. That was like point number one, which is like, this is doable and this doesn't have to be temporary. Mm-hmm. Right. Can at le- it can actually be like a very sort of intentional and strategic part of um, your approach to keep sort of your overhead, like, costs down and low, right? Then in terms of, um, you know, other aha moments and stuff, like, look, you know, I would say in building and managing this volunteer team, what I've learned is that let's call it like 75 to 80% of what I learned just managing paid teams 
in the for-profit space, et cetera, still apply, right? Like all the great best practices that you can think of in terms of how do you attract talent and retain it and all those things, like they still apply. And then I, what I learned though, was I did have to change my approach and adjust it by about 20 to 25% because of the nature of the challenge, right? Which is that like, you know, you're not paying them. And by default, you have to recognize the fact that um, no matter how much this volunteer loves your mission, right? In this case, neighbor share, you're always going to be their fifth, sixth, or seventh priority, right? Just by default, they have their day job, family, other priorities, et cetera. This is their volunteer gig, right? This is their nights and weekends passion project. So I've had to learn how to adjust those pieces, basically. And I'm happy to go into those, but I didn't want to keep on talking, Steve. I want to give you a chance to. <laughs> no, react to I, I was letting you yeah. go because it was all good stuff. I, a lot of questions involved. Uh, you know, did uh, I have to ask you this question? Have you found that uh, this org- that the organization that you start has now crept into your day job? Like, do you find yourself like working on things during the day? You know, I, this is a, a not the best question, but, you know, it's like, OK, like I'm going to start this organization and after six o'clock, I will work on it, you know, but it doesn't always work that way. Have you found that? You're saying for our volunteers? For you. Well, for me, it's been different. I actually ended up taking an unpaid sabbatical for the past oh. year to focus on this 125% of my okay, time. So the answer okay. to your question is absolutely yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, at some point I'll switch back to my paid gig and then, you know, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. replace me with it and all that stuff. Okay. Um, so, let so me- certainly true for me. But then, you know, for our volunteers to, to, you know, turn it back to the rest of the team, you know, what I found is that each person has been different. Right. And I think it really just depends on probably the nature of their day jobs and also just how much flexibility um, and empowerment they have to flex their day schedules. Right. Depending on their organization, their their corporate culture and what their bosses allow them to do, basically. Right. And so if you you know even look at my snapshot of a calendar for any particular week, you'll definitely see that. Yep. Like, you know, I'll probably have more five, six, seven PM meetings in the typical calendar, right? Cause like that's to capture a lot of our sub teams of folks who are like, yeah, I can't really meet regularly during the day, during my day job, right? So we wanna be respectful of that. But then there are others where, you know, we're, we're like slacking and emailing throughout the day, et cetera, where like, look, like they have a job they have to get done, but they're empowered to just manage their various sort of priorities, whether it's personal stuff, volunteer stuff like neighbor share or their day job, they get to manage it as a portfolio and it becomes flexible in that way. But, you know, one of the things I've certainly had to adjust and learn, and this is, you know, one of the key insights I would say in managing a volunteer team is like, um, learn that the empathy and flexibility needs to come from your end, not the volunteer end, right? In the sense that the volunteer is already doing so much, like offering their awesome skill set and services for free and squeezing it into their busy lives. And so what I've learned is sort of like, let's make sure we understand each volunteer's circumstances really richly stay close enough so you also understand how their circumstances are changing and then adjust sort of your expectations and approach based on that, right? And to give you a few, you know, tangible examples of that, Stephen, that's everything from um, like, look, I, I know my people down to the level of like, so-and-so likes to communicate via text. <laughs> this other one likes to communicate via Slack and the rest of this group likes to do email. <laughs> I will literally know it down to that level because I'm like trying to create this seamless experience for them, right? Like make it as easy as possible so that when you have the little time you have to focus on cracking neighbor shares, really hard problems, do that, right? So it's like down to even like things like that to make it as easy as possible for folks all the way to, you know, once again, like staying close enough and just understanding that, you know, people's life circumstances change, 
right? Like we've had volunteers who have spent lots of time with us, but then they had to, you know, go through a job change. So I had to disappear for a while or had to just flex ups and down in terms of what they can handle and whatever it is. And then, you know, the message from my side is always a hundred percent support. And what can I do to help? Right. And then sort of like you learn on our end to sort of just, um, you know, um, one sort of, um, be prepared for turnover, right? Both at that individual level of like, sometimes there's like a momentary, hey, this quarter, I'm just going to be real busy. You know, I'll come back next quarter, whatever it is. And also some folks will, will have to say, hey, like unexpectedly, I'm moving across the country. I can't really work on this as much anymore, even though this is remote, right? Like, it's like learning how to go with the flow on that mm. uh, and planning accordingly. And then also learning how to sort of like delegate out the specific pieces you want your volunteers to work on in a way that's sort of like bite-sized enough for them and still meaningful for you, right? So you kind of just learn all these little nuanced tricks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, so tell me this. I, I, I'm curious. I, it must come up, have come up. And that is, so let's say you, you think you have a good volunteer that's in graphic design. And you, uh, they start working on the project and you realize it's not very good. Right. Yep. Um, so how do you mitigate that? How do you, what do you do in those situations? This is just an example, uh, you know, certainly, but it's when the, the quality now, like how extensively do you interview? Like most people say, like, I think most people would say, Oh, I have a volunteer who's a graphic designer. You're hired. <laughs> who I don't have to pay. You're hired. Right. You know? <laughs> so, so tell me that scenario. No, it's a great question. And I think it requires, um, some nuanced balancing, good transparent communication, um, and a um, willingness to hold the bar high, right? Sort of like on starting from the last point first for a second, you know, I truly believe in um, uh, this philosophy and approach of like, look, like A-level talent attracts A-level talent. <laughs> and once you get into the Bs and Cs, et cetera, that's then the quality you're going to attract, right? So I, I actually do think it's actually really important to maintain a high bar um, for the quality of folks that you're bringing in, right? Both because it protects the quality of the output of your organization and because like good people like to work with other good people, you know, like that. So it's like pretty important to protect that. And so what we do is like, you know, as we, we bring on folks and, you know, like when we bring on volunteers, like to your point, I also don't invest in like a tremendous like interviewing process, et cetera. We're a little bit like, no, if you want to help, just jump in and help. Right. But what I do is like, once you jump in, you know, like to your point, you can like kind of quickly assess once you get into the real work, what that quality of the person will be, right? Like a yeah. graphic designer, like either they're really good or like, Hey, this ain't going to work out. Yeah. And, you know, for the ones that aren't working out as well, I, I either do like one of a few different things, right? There's the one, like even taking the graphic designer level, right? Like it's sort of like, hey, recognize that like we have a, I'm, I'm making this up, but like we have a lot of graphic design type work that needs to happen. And there's a difference between the quality that you need to do the next iteration of your like website, which is like the most important thing that we have, right? Down to like, okay, like what might you need for that quick sort of newsletter or what might you need for a quick social media post, <laughs> right? So there's like a piece where it's sort of like, okay, like when you have circumstances where you will inevitably end up with different qualities of folks in your in your team, are there ways to parse out the work such that it matches their skill sets in a good way, right? Gotcha. So that's sort of like whatever you need still matches up and still gets the output that you need, right? There are others who are just going to be, um, so there's that. There are others where it's sort of like, hey, like, that strategy doesn't really work as well because there's just either not enough of that work that they'll match the quality on or like the quality is just too low, right? In which case, what I oftentimes do is like just have a conversation about the, hey, um, if this part's not working out as well, what are other things you'd like to work on, 
Mm. Right. Because there's like 8000 things we need done. And just because you're a graphic designer doesn't mean you have you don't have all sorts of other different skills. <laughs> that would also be really important for us. Right. So getting really creative. Right. You know, one of my um, one of my favorite mentors in my career, like used to always say, like, look, an executive or manager's job, like think of it as like, um, you know, think of the job as like, look, like as a manager, you're basically given, you know, like a bowl of fruit, <laughs> right? Your people are your fruit. And um, each piece of fruit is inevitably going to be imperfect, right? The apple's going to have a bruise, you know, the, the banana is going to be a bit browner than you would like, et cetera. But it's your job as a manager to make the best darn fruit salad you can out of that fruit. And that's how I sort of like take take this volunteer challenge as well, right? So there's either the like you match skill set to, to the challenge that you need, you, you figure out creatively what else, where else they can add value in a way that would meet the bar. And then there are other times like, you know, we've had a sort of, um, you know, quote unquote fire volunteers. Um, that would be the last lever I'd like to pull. Cause like to your point, it is, you know, free passionate talent. Like, of course we want that, but um, I don't think you can compromise if they just literally can't get any of the job done. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those obviously don't need to be like super intense raw type of conversations. Like you're fired. Like it's sort of like a gentler, like, you know, like a conversation about, Hey, like maybe the priorities are moving a different direction or Hey, like, you know, like the particular angle that you're doing isn't exactly like the tone of, of the brand or the context that we need. Like maybe it's like, maybe smash for now, but let's keep in touch. Like, you know, but it's sort of like you, you definitely learn to like let them go, right? Like it's sort of like there's no value add for you to just collect volunteers because like it makes you feel better to have a high number of them or something, yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah. Now, the most important question I think I'm going to ask is now, and that is how do you, how have you found, how to have, how have you found volunteers? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so there's, I'm going to have a two part answer to, to your question. Cause I do think that's one of the most important ones. Um, there's one, which is, you know, before you even go out and try to recruit for volunteers, this notion of like thinking clearly about what value proposition you're going to have to bring to that volunteer. Right. And then the second part will be, let's talk about little tactics of how we did it on the first piece on the value prop. You know, I think it's really important to think through. And I think that's true, whether or not you're a for-profit or nonprofit organization, right? It's sort of like the, no, like what's in it for the employee or the volunteer? Like, why should they come work for you? And once again, for us, it's double clicked in because it's sort of like, well, it's not gonna be the money because <laughs> we can't pay them. Um, and to give a tangible example, like the way we thought about neighbor shares volume proposition is really in like, you know, three key elements, right? There's first and foremost, of course, the mission, right? Which every nonprofit in the audience will have, right? Which is like a mission that, you know, will grab folks and, and get them passionate. Um, for us, the, the other two elements are a bit more unique. There's one, which is, you know, we, um, we're very much sort of like a, a startup nonprofit. Like that's literally what we are. Right. And so I think we give folks a real opportunity to both, um, to do two things that actually help them develop in their careers, right? There's one, which is the, um, you know, let's use a graphic designer example again, right? Like you might be a graphic designer, you know, like, you know, early, mid-stage into your career, et cetera. Come to NeighborShare and be our lead graphic designer. Because <laughs> mm. by the way, you know way more than the rest of us do. So like take on real responsibility and build with us, right? Yeah, and so yeah. sort of like by default, because they're coming into the smaller shop that's scrappier and willing to take more risks, et cetera, you can stretch into like a real leadership role and build. Right. And so it actually gives them, I think, um, gives a lot of our volunteers an opportunity to be creative, take risks, try new and develop professionally in a way that they might not even get in their day jobs. We just do it faster for them. Right. The other angle of that that I think also helps scratch an itch, so to speak, is like there's both the scratching the itch of like, hey, I want to, you know, I want to make social impact. I want to give back to the community. There's the other part, which is like, hey, I want to do something entrepreneurial. 
right? I'm not ready to, you know, quit my day job and like go, you know, work in the, in the garage, the proverbial garage, so to speak. But like, we're like, we are neighbors and say, Hey, you can do that with us, right? Like scratch your startup itch. Cause we're fully a startup. Yeah. <laughs> so us, right. So that sort of like, once again, I think satisfies um, a couple of sort of, um, at least in our sort of in our team and cohorts, it satisfies a couple of different angles of like what they might be missing in their normal day jobs that we help fill. Right. And then the third element in our value prop is like, we know we very explicitly have this policy of like, we help each other pay it forward. Right. And so like, seriously, Stephen, like the number of, you know, reference calls for new jobs that I've done, recommendation letters I've written for business school and graduate school applications, et cetera. Like we are here to help each other out. Yeah. Right. The number of intros I've made from volunteers to, to our team members who are, you know, looking for new jobs or looking for some advice and whatever it is. That's sort of like it's very much like this notion of like, come join the neighbor share family and community because we're here. You know, our mission is all about helping our neighbors, but like we are each other's neighbors, too. Right. And so this notion of like um, making it also like a really interesting, almost like networking type of opportunity and hub for folks, I think has also made our value prop pretty, pretty attractive. Now, before you get to the second part of the question, which was based on how you found them. Yeah. Um, I do have a, uh, two questions. One of them is, do you, so I, my guess would be fifth. It's a 50, 50 split between I have something that needs to get done and therefore I need to find a volunteer or I have a volunteer that has a specific skill set. I didn't think I had a project, but they could do this for me. Is that fair to say that it's kind of, it could be both it, where you it's, have that scenario? Yeah, I would probably say, let's call it more like 75-25. 75%, I have a project and I'm going, okay. So yeah. if that's the case, if it's 75% where you have a project, do you actually go so far as to write a job description and with deliverables with, which by the way, for profit doesn't do a great job with, uh, but you know, depending on your size. But uh, but do you actually go that far where you will really have a job description to make sure you're getting the right person for the for depending the- on the role. Okay. Depending on the role, um, you know, like it's interesting. And I think it has to do with like the nature and shape of our network. Like I think it'll like the specifics will change for for folks depending on the fields they're in and where their networks are strong. But, you know, for example, um, you know, we've been able via just sort of like shared networking and volunteers knowing other people, et cetera, like been able to staff up a lot of our team that way without, to your point, Stephen, needing to like go to the extent of like writing up formal job description, things like that. What we found, though, is that, look, it's been like, you know, for us, it's been really hard to find, you know, ongoing, great, like creative talent, right? Like content writers, graphic designers, actually, like all that stuff. For those, we do end up writing up more formal job descriptions because then we're literally going out into different Slack groups and networks and platforms and things like that and literally posting up things to see if we can attract volunteers. So I think it's like the answer is a bit more of like a it depends. If it's easy and kind of like you can get away without it because you're just gonna like have a friend, call a friend, call a friend. Yeah. Great. Like why waste the time doing that? But know that sort of like as you get a sense of where your network has strengths, versus weaknesses, whatever, that's when you're going to want to do it in a bit more of a formal way. All right. So the second part of the question, which I know every, all our listeners right now are probably grabbing a pen and they're <laughs> going to write down the answers to this question that you're going to uh, tell us. And that is, how do you find them? Yeah. And so we, um, you know, we... 
um, we very scrappily have been doing the following things, right? Where sort of like, you know, as I described in the beginning of our conversation, the beginning was like just very organic, right? Like literally like the initial team of founding volunteers was like, was me and my co-founder and like a small initial group of just like coworkers. <laughs> literally, we just started out that way, right? And then from there, as we started building out, what we did was sort of like, once again, this notion of like, don't underestimate the networking effect. And it's sort of like, when I thought about it, it's actually not even that different from like the principles behind fundraising, right? Where a lot of this is like relationship based. And what's been interesting is that like, I find that folks are probably actually more willing and it's easier to pitch them on the, Hey, help us volunteer and build this cool, innovative new model than to say, Hey, write me a you know thousand dollar check. <laughs> They'll much be like, Hey, I just want to like work and contribute. Cause it's once again, it just scratches different itches in a different way versus just doing the money. Right. So there's yeah. like, first and foremost, like work your network and, um, and sort of like, you know, and one of the things that I think will make you different is like, and give your volunteers true ownership, right? Like our pitch is like, hey, do you want to come like volunteer and help us build this organization, build this startup, right? It's not that like, hey, do you want to come do this narrow, like small V volunteer thing? And it's like an hour. No, it's like, no, do you want to come and build, right? So you attract those owners and entrepreneurs and they, and they really love that. Another thing that we did still in our early days, because it's sort of like the network will still only get you so far, of course, is, you know, we did work with um, a couple of recruiting platforms and firms, right? And then for those, like those were, once again, we were lucky to have a couple of relationships. So what we did was like, we literally just reached out and we're like, would you be willing to like pro bono put up a couple of our job descriptions? <laughs> it's for a volunteer gig. That's like the first line at the top, right? So we don't need to confuse your candidates because like they're obviously mostly doing for-profit jobs and things like that. But like, are you willing to help us get the word out? Right. And so getting a couple of recruiting partners like that was also really helpful um, when we were starting to build out that initial bench. And especially, as I mentioned before, as we're getting into skill sets where I know like my own sort of like investment management network, like just like I didn't know people who like yeah. media and whatever, like all that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, and, um, you know, and then the other thing is like, you know, what I found is that and this is like still a, a networking type of point, but like, you know, it just helps the thing It's was like, once you get that initial almost like flywheel going, right, you have like a base of volunteers who are coming in, you've maybe used a couple of recruiting friends, or you know, what we also did was like, we just got like really creative about where we posted our job descriptions, right? Sort of like, if you dig online and just get creative about things, etc. There's all sorts of like slack groups and like, platforms, volunteer platforms, like I mentioned before, like lots of different ways to get the word out because there's actually a lot of people out there who are looking to do good, right? And contribute their time. So it's sort of like, there's sort of like use your network, but then also do some stuff to get out of your bubble because that's the only way you can expand your network. And once you have an initial sort of like um, core going, that actually from there on has actually fed our um, volunteer machine in a really great way where we've not actually had to resort back to using official recruiting firms and things like that, right? Because it's sort of like, you know, then what happens is like network begets network. And you land that one graphic designer person who's like, oh, I have five graphic designer friends. And I'm like, great, I don't know any graphic designers, right? So you start like spreading that way. Um, you know, definitely use your board, right? Sort of like, you know, um, our board consists of a number of really great executives who manage all sorts of huge teams and whatever. They're like, oh, like this is like a great way to get my team members involved in doing something creative with their extra time, et cetera. So then like, so they love doing that. So you get them to spread the word out, et cetera. And so this sort of like, you know, just like this network effect that you want to keep on building, right? And it's sort of like, you know, now I'm talking to the graphic designer who was the front of the first graphic designer. Designer, and then you go to them and ask the same question. Hey, do you have a couple more? Because we can always use more help, right? And then that's how you sort of like get things rolling. Now you're two, almost two years into this now, right? Yep. All right. Now, uh, two years into it, you're, you, you know, done a lot, right? Like any, like any company, you're starting to build some infrastructure or you're into that. Have you 
do you have somebody who's assigned to the volunteers so it's not coming to you? Great question. So, um, you know, the way I designed it is, um, you know, I literally have an org chart <laughs> thinking through how reporting lines should work and the structure to work, et cetera. And so a few different um, angles that answered your question, because I think it's a great one. One, I've certainly come to learn and appreciate that, you know, for, to your point, as processes mature and as processes become sort of like repeatable and need sort of like reliable, ongoing consistency and continuity, et cetera, those types of things, unless you do find a couple of volunteers who are able to contribute a bunch of time and, can, and like be able to really commit for like a longer term type way, right? Um, with good predictability, like yep. let's say a person who's retired or whatever it is. For those, what we did ultimately do about a year into the journey is like we did hire our first paid employee, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. it's sort of like what we found is like for the ones that, you know, like donor relationships, things like that, where you don't want to be like three months later, let me introduce you to this new volunteer. And it's just like, it's too much like the relationships and things like that, like that need that continuity. For those who are like, yeah, it's totally worth the investment. Let's find like a paid person who'll do that in an ongoing way, right? So there's also like the recognize that there's certain types of work and processes and things to run that are good to hand to volunteers and there are others that won't be, right? So there's, there's, um, that part of it. And then for the rest, you know, I think, um, you know, the way I think about reporting lines and structures is like no different than how I think about it with, you know, with paid employees, right? Sort of like the the folks that are direct reports to me are either the heads of teams or, you know, like they're the ones who are working on some of our org's top priorities, right? Where we're trying to crack through the next series of unknowns. Because once again, we're very new, right? We're still trying to figure out so many things about what works about our product and doesn't work and whatever it is. And so there's sort of like, um, for folks like that, I will keep close. For, um, for others, you know, they'll either report to our, our full-time paid team or they'll report to another sort of like lead volunteer, right? And so it's sort of, um, you know, like I guess my synthesized answer to you is much more of like a, it depends, right? Like yep. make good judgments about what you keep close versus what you delegate. And then, you know, like one thing I will acknowledge though is that like I have had a hard time um, really landing the sort of like head of type roles, like the lead pillars to be completely volunteer driven. Yeah. Right, because those once again require just like a lot. Because now you're managing other volunteers. You're doing, you know, you're like not only solving the strategy and cracking through this. You're managing other volunteers or whatever. And so those I tend to either pair up in co's or say I'm your co. Yeah. Because I can be that steady hand, and I want to use them for the skill set that I don't have. Yeah, you know, right? I so get it. Sort of like you got it. You got to get like once again like pretty thoughtful and nuanced about how you want to set up each of these angles and relationships to make it work. And then for me, like once you get used to it, it doesn't actually take that much time. You just learn the ins and outs of it, but like pay attention to the nuance. And that way, that's how you really get the most out of this volunteer team and make sort of like the hours that each volunteer is able to bring in each week really count and um, and optimized for their impact. So so just to be clear, do you 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 do have somebody now on a full-time basis that manages the the volunteers. Is that some correct? of the volunteers? Some of the volunteers. Some of the volunteers. It and depends. then the, once again, there's sub teams that have been delegated teams. to her, okay. and there's others that have been delegated. Because I would be worried with the amount of volunteers you're talking about that it would just eat away at your time. And I guess what I would do if I was in your shoes, not knowing what you've learned already, is if it was a really really important volunteer that is like, let's say I had a volunteer who's working on, you know having us run good board meetings, you know, uh, that person would report directly into me, you know, because it's really important and uh, strategic, right? Um, so, but if it's somebody who's, you know, designing a new page on the website, it may not be as, you know, I, I would be worried about it picking away at your time. 
Yeah, I would say a couple of things to that because I think you're right. And then one, you know, like when I'm thinking about managing our volunteer team, I don't even call it the volunteer team. It's just our team. Because <laughs> like, yeah. once again, sort of like that's the bulk of what we do. And so it's sort of like the whatever processes, et cetera, I set up, it's sort of like just saying, it's like the, just the question, like how do you want to run your business? Yes. Right. And I think, and so that's that's why I was saying before how like I do think the delegation principles and reporting lines, et cetera, is like not that different from how you would think about it with paid employees, right? Yes. Like just don't even think of it as different. Like you just got to do that. And it's not yes. a separate other priority. It's just like, no, how do I want to manage my people? Which is like yep. a core part of any executive's job, right? There, so there's that. And then to your point, as part of that, you have to think really carefully about making sure you're getting the optimal use of your own time, right? So I think that's absolutely true. The other thing I've learned, though, just as another small tactic that, you know, I, like after I lost a couple of volunteers in this way in early days that I've had to learn is sort of like, even because like you're absolutely right that like, you know, we have 20 to 30 volunteers at any particular point in time. Not all of them can be, you know, I can't have one-on-ones with every, like every single one of them every week and whatever it doesn't make sense, right? What I have found, though, is that especially with the volunteer team, we're like, once again, like, hold on to the empathy that, like, even though you're super passionate about your org and it's your number one priority, it's your volunteer's fifth, sixth, seventh priority. Yeah. Right? And so, like, even though I'm constantly living, breathing this thing and this project, that project, oh, the volunteers assigned to that thing, et cetera, they're not. Yeah. Right? And so... um what I learned is that and what I what I ended up doing is like holding actually a weekly team meeting that invites all the volunteers. It's optional, right? So no one has a pressure to attend, but like, you know, so people like pop in, like probably about 25% of the team shows up any particular week. Um to come in and just sort of like reconnect with the mothership, so to speak, to understand the broad strategy of like what, what all is going on. And do you record that too and send it back out? Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to mention that. Exactly. So that people can just like keep in touch and keep tied to the mission and know what's going on. Right. Yep. Cause it's like this delicate balance. Like what I found was like, for example, I um, was experiencing in early days, like pretty high turnover in our software developers. Right. People were literally coding some of our websites and stuff like that. And um, what I realized was because like they were getting too removed from the core mission. Right. Because for me, I was like, hey, I want to save their time and my time because it's like I don't need to talk to them that often. I don't know how to code like, yeah. you know, to, like talk to them, manage. They were going through our product managers and things like that. But what happened was it's sort of like after a few weeks of like not talking to me ever, they're a little bit like, you know, you get disconnected to the mission, to anything exciting going on. What did you talk to the board about? What's the next big priority? All that stuff. And so it's like you have to be careful about, yes, delegate and make sure you don't end up spending too much time just volunteering. I mean, managing volunteers for the sake of that. But at the same time, how do you keep your folks close, especially given our value prop, which is that, you know, you're here joining an entrepreneurial journey and building toward an important mission. Well, then give them that journey, right? You, uh, yeah, I, we we have a couple of minutes. I, I really want to use this differently. Um, I know it's all about volunteers, but tell us about um, give us a typical scenario with your uh, with your nonprofit in regards to a client. So, a client that's the way that you I, I've seen really good nonprofits word that instead of saying the people we help. You know, they say the client, right? So, so from when I read your mission, uh, you you help people who who uh, who, who need less than four hundred dollars, and is it food? Less than four hundred dollars in food. Um, what what? Uh, tell us a little bit about your organization. Absolutely. So, the the problem statement we basically started out with when we started a neighbor share was this question of how do we just get some direct help to folks in our communities um, at the moments that they need it. Right. And um, when we really started thinking through how to do that, we realized that it was actually pretty hard to do. Right. Like if you're just like the typical donor kind of walking down the street being like, sure, I'd be willing to help a neighbor through like a quick moment of need, 20 bucks, whatever, like that type of thing. Um, what you realize is that like you don't actually know which door to go knock on. 
right? And so our entire model is around, hey, why not go empower the people in our communities who do know, right? So what NeighborShare does is we basically just partner with the frontline staff a great other existing local nonprofits all over the country. Right? So think the case managers and social workers could be teachers at schools. Over time, you can imagine us expanding to, um, you know, nurses at hospitals, things like that, where we're basically uh, saying, hey. Preachers to preachers and stuff like that. Preachers, like, yeah, there's okay. all, right, like, there's so many ways this thing can expand, right? Which is like, we really want to celebrate and respect the fact that there are folks out there who have dedicated their lives to understanding their communities walking with their communities and really having a pulse on the nature of need in their communities, right? And then the problem that we recognize for those folks is that oftentimes they're already spending, um, once again, their entire lives, like pulling together available resources to help a particular client in need through a moment, right? But unfortunately, what happens a lot at the same time is that they run out of resources <laughs> and needs will slip through the cracks, right? And so we're saying have neighbors share basically be almost like your bat phone. <laughs> if you're the case manager talking to a client and you're unable to help them through this particular need, call us and we'll get the help to you. And then to your point about the types of needs that we help with, we call them pivotal moments of need of $400 or below. And we keep it sort of like broad in that way because we found that a lot of different types of needs, not just food, not just rent, not just utility bills can slip through the cracks that need a little bit of help, right? And we found that they typically fall into one of two major types of buckets, right? There's the first bucket, which is, you know, the needs that um, start out as small emergencies, but can spiral very quickly into crises when not stopped at the right moment and quickly, right? So a classic one that comes up and comes up on our platform a lot is like, you know, think the that unexpected $300 car repair, right? That hits a family that's in a stable but kind of fragile situation. And then all of a sudden, you know, they've lost their main mode of transportation to work and then can spiral very quickly, right? Where it's like you start showing up late to work. Your work's a type that's like speed strikes and you're out. If you're not showing up on time, et cetera, et cetera. And then that's how you can spiral from that $300 car repair that I couldn't afford to wait a minute. Now am I, how am I actually at risk of losing my job and then maybe not making my rent or buying my food next month, right? Mm. So like, how do we stop those moments? The other type of bucket of need that comes up often is sort of like the types of things that just require a little bit of help to remove that last mile blocker that's really preventing someone to make a step change improvement in their life, right? And so for example, this recent one that came up um, that was just so like just compelling because once again, we're not talking about a lot of money. It's like, you know, this woman who was working with one of our partner nonprofits because she lost her job during COVID and they were helping her find interviews and stuff to find, you know, uh, find another job and pick herself up. Because like during that period when she couldn't find jobs, et cetera, she rapidly became homeless, et cetera. So that's what this nonprofit was helping her to do. Uh, the thing that the thing that happened, though, was like it was literally like three days before her scheduled interview. She broke her eyeglasses. Mm-hmm. And she has no insurance and no money to pay for replacement eyeglasses. Yeah. And so it's a little bit like, how do you go to that interview when you can't see? Yeah. Right. And, you know, that nonprofit doesn't have like an emergency fund called eyeglasses fund. Like, where do you where do you go for funding like that? Right. And so that need came through the neighborship platform. And then within, you know, a week's time, we get 200 bucks to her. She got her eye exam. She got two pairs of glasses. And and actually, at this point, we just got the two month update from them where she's been at her new job and is doing great and starting right. to build sort of like what she needs to get her first security deposit into the bank so she can be you know back on her own again. And so like. Those are the types of needs and they like spread across all sorts of different things, right? It could be, it could be food, it could be clothing, it could be um, the car repair, or it could be things like those where it's like, you know, I just needed that $75 to get my birth certificate. I'm in te- Connecticut. I just need to get my birth certificate from Texas so I can like, you know, get, get that next job or the whatever it is, right? Like oftentimes those really last minute, um, you know, or like last mile type of blockers that I know when I was just like the, your your average donor out there, you know, just a couple of short years ago, I had no idea that those are the types of things that can make truly, truly pivotal type of impact with a relatively small amount of money. So that's what yeah, and not, not that my list my listeners are not skeptics, uh, so they're not. 
I, I'm, I'm sure they're not skeptics. I'm sure they don't believe that people are trying to get one over on you. But uh, how do you smell test? Do you smell test if someone is being authentic in their request? Not that $400 is that much money, but um, is there a smell test involved? Yeah, I mean, the key point that we do is we really go through a validation process in bringing on our nonprofit partners, right? Because the smell test is really happening at the level of those frontline staff members that we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So once we verify that this organization itself, this 501c3, is legitimate, well-run, well-intentioned, has gone through our training and on our morning, whatever it is, we do leave a lot of empowerment to the frontline staff to say, hey... Here are the, you know, here are the needs that we'll submit into NeighborShare because they pass through your guidelines. And it's interesting. We've done a lot of digging and interviewing and whatever else. And it's like, they're probably more um, scarcity mindset than we'd want them to be <laughs> when we're like, no, 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 like get, get them to us. Like we want to, we want to help with the folks. Right. And so like what we found is that like most folks in the community, like, you know, cause we're trusting them and empowering them to be our third party validator, so to speak, take this responsibility very seriously. That being said, we also read through every single need that comes on the site. Anything that does might smell like a little bit off, like, wait a minute, like, is that really consistent with our mission? Or like, wait, why, why wouldn't they go to this other resource? Isn't that what they do as an org, right? Because we're not here just to be like sourcing your program, right? We're yeah. here to source the things that you can't cover, et cetera. In those, we will go back and forth yeah. and push on that just to make sure that, you know, we're once again operating in a way that's, you know, staying consistent with our mission and protecting our donor dollars toward, toward real needs. Right? Have you run out of money? Um, in current state, no, because we keep it very controlled because I would uh, still call it our early stage proof of concept phase. And then you can imagine, I think the next, let's call it 18 to 24 months, it's going to be much more about how to really scale this thing out uh, and bring in really the large waves cool. of funding that you'd want to your point, right? To make sure that we don't run out. And, um, and also so that we don't, we don't disappoint folks going through some of the toughest times in their lives. Well, Diana, just, you should pat yourself on the back. I just want to let <laughs> you know, I mean, listen, I talk to a lot of nonprofits. They're, they're. 80% of our clients are nonprofits and um, I don't get into the level of detail in their businesses, but you've got a long way in a short period of time. So, you know, you should feel really good about that. And I, you know, there's a lot of lessons learned here. The, the idea of before you set, start, you know, going at it, your nonprofit, I, I like what you just said. And that is, um, he didn't say profiling. It was um, prototyping prototyping it, you know, let's try it with one or two or three people or what like that. Let's make sure we get down. We, you know, I, I like that idea, not just trying to be everything to everyone and then finding your mission after, you know, uh, did you, did your mission change? Last question. Did your mission change between the first day and the, and the 18th month? I would say the essence of our mission hasn't changed, but I would say the model itself has definitely crystallized and become refined through time, right? Like when we first started out, for example, we didn't have that $400 limit, right? And then there were like a number of reasons and a number of tests that we did that made us go toward, hey, we think, um, you know, having these needs limited to smaller manageable needs made a lot of sense. And then a lot of logic into why 400 versus 100, 200, 500, right? So like, there's like a lot of things like that, that you just refine through time. And then Stephen, to your point about the prototyping and stuff, I would say that you know, we've, um, and this is why I was like, I, I just, I was like smiling in the beginning where you're like, Hey, wait, I have an entrepreneurial, you know, podcast too. Like, um, I've run and built this thing much more aligned in like a lean startup type of approach 
than not, right? Because we're brand new. It's an innovative model. We've like actually faced a lot of challenges getting nonprofits to work with us, et cetera, in our early days and things like that. And so it's like very much like a fail fast prototype, use proof of concepts and like, you know, be willing to not hold on to any sacred cows, <laughs> right? Sort of like, if it ain't working, it's not working. Go try something else, right? And continuing to do that. And we'll likely always do that, right? Because I think that's like actually one of the best ways to just keep on improving um, and refining your model and ultimately get to the mission. We're just trying to help people. Yeah, I don't think I would have gone that way because of the, uh, you know, if I think something's important enough, I'm just going to spend the money on it. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have, but I, it, you know, I do have this philosophy about, you know, People want to give back, but they they want to know they'll do more too. You're, if if they know where their money or their help is going to. Yes. Right. Yes. So, like when I donate to the United Way, I'm like, okay, I really don't know where it's going, you know. But when I donate to a guy who needs a hundred dollars for because he needs eyeglasses, I'm like, wow. And I've done that, but by, by the way. Um, yeah. I, I bought a hearing aid for a young girl whose, you know, father who t- couldn't afford it. And, yeah. you know, and yeah. I felt better. Well, it's not a wow. It's just like, it's like, it is what it is, but, um, but it's, you know, you, um, I felt much better about that than I did about giving to United Way. So, you know, um, so good stuff. Well, that's really fantastic. It's really kind of all the time we have today. Um, I'd like to thank so very much, Diana Zhang, uh, Z-H-A-N-G from NeighborShare for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you like today's podcast, please give us a review. It really helps us spread the the word about the nonprofit NBA podcast. I'm shocked on how quickly the nonprofit, well, not quickly, but how the nonprofit is is being, um, is, uh, being listened to. And it's because of those reviews, because the, the, the better the reviews, the more reviews, the more the search engines move us up in the, in it. So, uh, please, if you think we deserve five star, uh, please go. And if you don't think we deserve five star, you can call me and tell me what you think I need to do better. And so, um, but of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Diana, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Thanks, Stephen. So um, you can definitely check out NeighborShare at our website, which is nbshare.org. So the letter N, B, and then the word share, S-H-A-R-E.org. And then please, folks, like feel free to reach out to me directly. You can find me at diana at nbshare.org, D-I-A-N-A at nbshare.org. Fantastic. And I say this at the end of, of every podcast. I wish I could twist it a little bit differently because it sounds boring after 90 of them. But I want to thank all our <laughs> listeners out there. You guys are on the front line. You're doing all the hard work. Diana, you're doing all the hard work. And uh, I want to thank you. You guys all deserve uh, great applause for making the world a better place. I need to do my part. Uh, We all need to do our part. Everybody needs to contribute, but you guys are out there on the front line doing it every single day. I thank you for that. Um, And just, you know, remember to take good care of yourself. You're no good to your organization if you don't take good care of yourself. Um, And that means taking a step back sometimes and, you know, um, exercising, going for a walk, meditating, uh, those type of things. Um, so just keep that in mind. Everybody have a fantastic day 
And I look forward to speaking to you on the next Nonprofit MBA podcast. Podcast.